Wow, I'm very excited about this uh, topic that we can join on today. We can spend the next couple hours really diving deeply down into being of true service because uh, there's a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies, there's a lot of uh, nuances to just this word service. And I'm reminded of that prayer at the beginning of A Course in Miracles that most of you know, you probably know it by heart, I am here only to be truly helpful. Isn't it interesting that there's that word helpful, which most of us resonate with that, like helpful, oh I like that, I'm here to be truly helpful, well that, that puts a, a little twist on it, um, truly helpful, meaning maybe there's something to discover about even being helpful. And uh, that makes sense that if, if I've seemed to come to this world invested in a, an, a false self, a false uh, identity of time and space and, and uh, body and personality and all kinds of characteristics that really uh, don't have anything to do with who I really am in reality, in spirit, then uh, even to try to be helpful sometimes in this world, when we try to be helpful, we actually find we get mixed reactions and we have mixed emotions and our, you know, we have good intentions. And then Jesus says in A Course in Miracles, trust not your good intentions. <laughs> so so it's, it's not like saying that our good intentions are actually going to take us to know what uh, true helpfulness is. It's actually going to take uh, a lot of devotion, a lot of willingness to listen, to be guided, to be sent on seemingly countless uh, missions uh, where we're just uh, learning to listen and follow to the Holy Spirit. We're learning to tune in and this truly helpful thing, uh, when you put those two words together, that is a deep rabbit hole. And the same with service. You know, when we say being of true service, uh, just when we mention the word service, we have connotations that come up. Whenever somebody said to me over the years, when they would say uh, service, um, I mean, some of us may think of McDonald's drive through or customer service or whatever. I actually, when, when they would say service to me, I always uh, thought of Mother Teresa first. Uh, the first one that comes to mind because I thought of those decades and decades of her, you know, leaving Albania and going down and cutting her hair and putting on this habit and this tiny little woman going down to India, of all places, and Calcutta, of all places, uh, to learn how to serve Jesus and, and see the Christ in everyone. And, and to me, when somebody would say to me, you know, well, you, would you like to be of true service, I, I would think of Mother Teresa. That's just who would come to mind. Because service was something that she actually taught. Uh, she said, we, we're here to be servants of Christ, and we're here to see the Christ in everyone that we meet. And so I think when we look at that topic of being of true service, certainly uh, Mother Teresa comes to mind, but also we have to remember that that Mother Teresa came kind of out of the, the Catholic system. And the Catholic system 
um, and the Catholic theology uh, still had quite a bit of sacrifice in the theology. And so I think she kind of uh, ruffled a lot of feathers, even when she wanted to serve the poorest of the poor, when she wanted to go on her mission pretty late in her life, uh, that kind of ruffled the feathers in the diocese and, and the the people that she was working with. A lot of priests were kind of offended, like, um, I don't know if some of you know the story of, you know, in, in Catholicism, you know, there's three vows that are pretty uh, common, um, poverty, chastity, and obedience, and then Mother Teresa comes along and she wants to serve the poorest of the poor, and where there is, you know, really uh, darkness, uh, she wants to bring a sense of, of joy and, and spirit, and she actually ended up adding on a vow, and that really ruffled a lot of feathers. It's like, who do you think you are? We've had three vows for centuries and you're adding a fourth vow. How can you even do that? <laughs> but for me, I felt that that was her desire and her glimpse of starting to see that there's some value in this thing called service. That she felt there was a very strong value in service. And so um, today we're all going to go down that rabbit hole together and let's take a close look at that. I would say that on the surface level of things, with, with service, um, there are a lot of things that seem to be service and helpfulness in this world, but some of you are, are aware of what I will call social services, because we have social services to, uh, to help the needy, to help the poor, to help the hungry, uh, to Habitat for Humanity, to build homes for those that don't have them, for those that are homeless. We have um, the Red Cross. We have all kinds of uh, relief efforts for hurricanes and typhoons and tornadoes and, and crisis intervention and so on and so forth. And I would say many of these could be lumped under the category of social services. But I noticed in my life, because I worked in social services myself, and I had that experience that I noticed that with social services, with this idea of helping other people, there was something wonderful about it. There was something heart-opening about service that made my heart expand, that made me feel like I was doing something useful, something purposeful, something wonderful, and and also there was like an altruistic sense, like like do something for the good, the greater good, and and help people. And I was in university for many years, but eventually I kind of worked my way around to social services. Curiously enough, though, I discovered like for many who who were serving under Mother Teresa, many nuns, many people that are in social services or Catholic social services, what I found was there was still quite a bit of what I'm going to call burnout, where people just got exhausted, absolutely exhausted. They actually felt like, it felt sounded like a good idea of being of true service, 
but but then the more they gave their life over it, you know, they they felt like uh, maybe they didn't take care of themselves enough. Uh, maybe they put helping other people so much in the forefront of their mind that they started to feel tired, uh, fatigued, uh, or emotionally burned out, like like their reservoir of of love and light that they had or generosity to give would start to run dry. Uh, sometimes people who have been in social services for many years, when you talk to them, they, they say, I did it as long as I could, but then I went dry. I just burned out. But if we're talking about being of true service, and service is alignment with spirit, service is being used by the spirit to help the whole, to expand your perception, to raise your awareness, to lift you up uh, in alignment with God and elevate you, then the idea of burnout would be a very strange thing. Imagine if you gave your life over to Christ and you poured your heart into it for 25 years and then you burned out and then this voice arose in your mind and went, Come on, Christ, I, I gave you 25 years of service and devotion and now I'm bored and burned out and worn out. Uh, there would be a problem with that because we would think that we would be more inspired, more vibrant, more joyful, more happy consistently by this service, by being truly in service. And that's really what I'm going to talk with you all about today is that that's exactly right. Intuitively you know that to be true. That if you come to what true service is, you should feel a sense of energy. Not like a sense of enervation, a sense of drain, stress, weakness, uh, burnout. You know, that, that is ego, 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 ego. Somehow the ego got in if there's a burnout. If you're in true service and you experience burnout, it just means you, you, you've been tricked somehow in some way. There's some kind of an unconscious belief in sacrifice. Like, okay, I'll do this, but I better have a benefit that comes from this. And the belief in sacrifice, which is what the ego is, is where the burnout comes in, is where the 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 sadness comes in of where the 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 even the fatigue uh, the fatigue is not coming from the service from the true service the fatigue Jesus tells us in a course in miracles is coming from judgment where Jesus says you are not capable of being tired but you are very capable of wearying yourself Jesus says the strain of constant judgment is is virtually intolerable. So he's telling us the fatigue is not coming from the service. The fatigue, the burnout, is coming from the judgment. And that judgment is coming from the ego and the ego's definitions of service and the ego's ideas of service. And that's why we're having this weekend gathering here. We have to get really clear on how to transcend all egoic definitions of service because if we're capable of burning out it just means we've been tricked again. It's a clever little ingenious little puff of nothing but we have to 
to really get clear about this puff in our mind because it's going to try to trick us and it's going to even try to turn service against us by burnout or fatigue. So, let's talk a little bit about the context because another thing I like about, I mean, I have to tell you my experience of, of joining and connecting with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not some kind of, to me, spirit in the sky or far off, far away uh, uh, spiritual being that's back on the kingdom of heaven, on the throne with God or something. To me, Jesus is a very present experience. There's a presence that is so kind and so friendly, so uh, respectful, uh, so gentle, and the last word I'm going to throw in there is so very practical. That Jesus is not going to just give you a bunch of ideals and say, yeah, here's here's the mark. Now see, give you give it your best shot. See what you, see what you can do. The presence of of Christ in our life is really. The presence is saying, I'm going to take your hand wherever you believe you are in time and space. You believe you're a mother, you believe you're a firefighter, do you believe you're a Course in Miracles student, do you believe you're a, an American or a Russian or a, a, a Jew or a, a, a Christian or what, whatever you believe you are, I'm going to take your hand right where you believe you are, right whatever you believe you are in time and space. I'm going to take your hand right there and I'm going to meet you right there. You know, he's like saying, at one point in the workbook he says, take my hand. Jesus says, take my hand and it will be no idle fantasy. I will lead you and it will be no idle fantasy. That like he's saying, Literally, I want you to feel like you are being led right where you perceive that you are. Don't try to jump and do metaphysical gymnastics, what sometimes we call it metaphysical ghosting, and you know, you go home and you tell your your mother, you know, actually I'm the Christ, and she says, What? What <laughs> what are you talking about? You know. It's like, it's, it's through the inner prompts, it's through the guidances, it's through those little nudges, it's th through meeting you right where you believe you are and taking you right from that place to help you start to slowly and in most cases gradually unwind from the identity that has been made up by the ego and, and empty your mind of of, of concepts, of, of so many concepts that are clouding the way and that are blocking things. So, uh, sometimes it's, it's good to use a few metaphors to try to explain this. So, I will, I will use some metaphors that I have found helpful in my journey. Before I got into the course, I studied psychology and I studied philosophy and uh, I was reading about a lot of different spiritual pathways, but one of those things that resonated for me 
was Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the, the old the triangle, you know, Abraham Maslow, the basic needs at the bottom, and then you work your way up, and then if you get higher and higher, you work your way to the point of the triangle, which was self-actualization. Know thyself, as the Greeks said. And if you remember, Maslow said you had to you had to meet the needs and attend to the needs of the lower order um, at the bottom of the triangle first. He's like, don't think you're just jumping up into the top of self-actualization. You actually have to work your way through the triangle. And I don't know, there's something when I was first reading Maslow's theories, uh, I loved. I really adored Maslow and I read not only his theories but I read his notes and I was going back through his journals and I was quite, uh, I felt really lifted up by uh, humanistic psychology because I felt it was such a positive view of, of human nature that we could actually reach our full potential. And it's part of the, the human potential movement and of course self-actualization would be no who you truly are at the top. That everybody was love deep down inside and everybody could reach this love but they had to move through these lower order needs. And so if you take that, that triangle of hierarchy of needs and you start to superimpose that over and say how does that relate to A Course in Miracles, uh, along with Abraham Mezzo, of course, Carl Rogers and Abraham Mezzo were probably two of the pioneers of humanistic psychology, just like Sigmund Freud is the, is the pioneer of uh, psychoanalysis, and uh, B.F. Skinner was one of the pioneers of, of stimulus response uh, theories and so forth. And um, some of you pr may know that, um, that Bill Thetford was a a graduate assistant of Carl Rogers. Uh, so the course even has some connections to uh, to humanistic psychology that way. Uh, in fact, Carl Rogers uh, pretty much picked, he, he seemed to be enamored with, um, with Bill, and Bill didn't seem to have as many qualifications as a lot of the other people that were uh, graduate assistants, but there was something about Bill that, that Carl Rogers was just drawn to and, uh, and, and so there's a, a symbolic connection there. But beyond that, I would say that, that from A Course in Miracles perspective is the ego is a belief system that is based on fear and that for all human beings that seem to come to earth or seem to come into what seems to be a physical existence, that there is fear, a lot of fear underneath that. It's not the kingdom of heaven. It's the belief that you're something that you're not. And then, with this fear that's so full and so intense, you seem to take on an identity and you seem to be playing a game, but you've forgotten that it's a projection. You've forgotten that it's a dream. There's a like a a double amnesia going on. You forgot the, the light and love of heaven and then you also forgot that you're dreaming and then you quickly become identified with being a child of parents or being uh, 
a Canadian or a Chinese or Japanese or you get identified with a culture, you get identified with surroundings, you get identified with what seems to be your th three-dimensional dreamscape and suddenly it's, it's who you are and you are not aware that you're dreaming it. And, and the, the name of the game, for what the purposes I'm talking about today, being of true service, let's just call it the survival game. Because everyone who seems to become identified with the body is participating in what we could call a survival game. It's called stay alive. And why do people go through years and years of education to get degrees and certificates? Why do people do meaningless jobs like uh, factory work, like making widgets for eight hours a day, becoming a widget maker, you know, and, and making those? Why would, would anybody become so consumed with this thing called job or career or whether it's hunting and gathering or whether it's agriculture, farming, or whether it's factory work or service work or becoming an investor, uh, a stockbroker on Wall Street, or whatever. Um, or maybe it's just be taking on a family role where you, you take on the role of a wife or of a husband. And then you do parenting with children. And the, your investment is in survival. That you survive, the family survives, and it's almost like the baseline game of fear is a game of survival. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, have to take our mind from this baseline level of playing this survival game on, on planet Earth into higher and higher states of awareness where we start to realize that there's, of course, much more. There's a purpose that is much beyond survival. But survival would be like along those, um, the lower rungs of the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, meeting your basic needs, what he would say, meeting your basic physical needs, and then also meeting your basic emotional needs, and, and as you move up, even more uh, needs for like achievement, accomplishment. Um, psychologists would say building, building your self-esteem, gaining more confidence as a human being is even part of that, that uh, you might say, those rungs of the ladder or those steps on those hierarchy of needs. And then as you you get higher and higher and you start to accomplish and uh, meet those lower needs, then higher order needs are activated with you. He called those being values. We have to try out to find what our true purpose is here. What's the point of all this? What's the point of, of this world? What's the point of life? And it's taking you towards higher values and more towards the sense of integrity in mind, and then ultimately coming to a state of mind which is your true self, which is your self-actualization at the, at the very top. So, 
as we move through this with the Course, and you're working with the Course, you will see that the Course and your initial ideas around service are going to be met with, with guidance. In other words, if there are things that feel like service to you, and will give you a sense of, of harmony, of well-being, even doing some things that you just like to do. Things that are interesting to you, things where you have a curiosity, things where you have an openness, things where you start to feel you're drawn to them. Those kind of things are the beginning steps of the Holy Spirit and Jesus taking you into this deep rabbit hole of, of true service. Meeting the mind where the mind believes it is. Uh, and sometimes it's just as simple as having an, an opening and a willingness in your heart to just say, can I help? Like when somebody asks you and requests, will you help me with this? Will you help me with that? Can you lend a hand with this, with that? Um, though that kind of general sense of, of being willing to be helpful, being willing to pitch in, being willing to help. And that's like a, a very, very beginning level of, of starting to open to this true, true service. It's like that's like a little keyhole, a little pathway, a little doorway, and the Spirit must use Whatever willingness that you have, and, and whatever concepts you even hold about service, it, it, will, it will use that. It will take that and will use that, and then it will go take it and carry it a lot deeper. Now, with the Course, there's some basic things that you're told, and basically one of them is that the only use that the body has is as a communication device. So, right away, if you find yourself being used in ways that seem to be related to communication, or under the category of whatever you see to be communication, whatever your definition of communication is, that shouldn't be surprising. Uh, you know, if you're talking to somebody on the phone and you start to wonder, okay, how can I truly be helpful, or how can I be of, of true service here to who I'm talking with? Jesus even says that in the, in the workbook. He said, when you use a telephone, you try to reach somebody who's not in your proximity. He says, but you really don't know what you want to reach him for. He's kind of poking fun at a telephone, even, as a communication device, and saying, yeah, that's true. You can talk to somebody who's not in your proximity. See how practical he is? You know, he starts off with the telephone, and then he says, but you don't know why you want what you want to reach him for. Like, you don't really know your purpose yet. You're so accustomed to survival and being a human being that when you're talking to somebody on the phone, Jesus would say, you really actually believe you're talking to somebody else. And to him, that's kind of funny. Uh, for us, we might go, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's right, Jesus. That's why I use the telephone. Because <laughs> I'm talking to somebody else. That's right, that's right. And he says, yeah, I know that's what you believe, but 
but you don't know what you want to reach him for. You're, you really don't know the purpose for the phone call. Uh, and he also is saying, basically, if you knew the purpose for talking to your brother or talking to your sister, you would be exceedingly happy. You would be bursting at the seams in joy. If you knew why, if you knew what you were supposed to reach him for, you would be so happy that eventually the the whole the phone, the the mouth, the lips, the teeth, uh, and the and the signal, everything would be gone because you would just go back into to light if you knew what that call was for. So part of it is at the beginning being aware that that being of true service is going to involve communication. Now, just like with everything else, there are certain definitions of what communication is. Um, you know, some people would say, uh, yeah, I finally, I was denying my anger and my rage, and so I finally just called my boss up and I really let my boss have it. I, I really communicated with my boss. I communicated my rage. Jesus would say, no, that's not exactly uh, what I have in mind for the communication. It's a little bit deeper than, than that. You know, you don't, it's almost like raging at somebody is like firing a ray gun into a mirror, you know, <laughs> and you really, you're really zapping yourself. You're not really communicating because to really communicate, you have to be spoken through by me or spoken through by the Holy Spirit, he would say, and and you need to surrender a lot in your mind to allow my voice to come through you, to speak through you, to extend through you. You need to do a lot of surrendering, a lot of prayer to to get into alignment with what that true purpose is, where I smile through you, I laugh through you, I hug through you, I speak kind words through you, I, I have sparkly smiling eyes through you. I, I let that love and that joy come radiating through you and seemingly through using the body while you still believe you are a body. I'm going to, that's going to be part of the transition phase. We're going to have to let that body be like a, like a translucent, um, instrument that light can shine through and you're going to be constantly cleaning the lens to keep that instrument and keep that flow of light and love, keep it as pure as possible. In the end, because giving and receiving are the same and you, and you have to come into alignment with this purpose in order to extend it and then even as you extend it, he says, you have to do it under my control. You know, miracles are involuntary. Miracles should not be under conscious control or they can be misdirected. So if you still have the ego in there telling you, picking and choosing where you're going to bestow the miracles and who you're, um, oh, I think, you know, I've had a grievance against, so I think I'm, I should call so-and-so and do a miracle and everything. Even, even our use of how our communication device, will say, is used, has to be under Christ's control, has to be 
in alignment with the purpose and the spirit for it to be helpful. If the ego is using the communication device, what do you expect? You know, it, it's going to just reinforce deception. It's going to reinforce illusions. It's just going to to make you feel more stuck than ever and more depressed and more uh, more fearful and guilty if the ego is using the communication device for its own purposes to get um, for pride, for pleasure, for attack, for other things that are really not helpful at all and those kind of purposes for the body uh, basically just block the light and, and all they are are part of a defense mechanism and a delaying of you knowing who you are. So that's why we have to get really clear about the ego's uses and the spirit's uses and give our our resources, give our body, give our give everything, give our time uh, over to the spirit to be used for the spirit's purposes. So to me this is the beginnings of of being of true service and for a lot of people I will say that when when that word service comes up too, uh, there usually is it's maybe unconscious, but there is there are certain concepts and definitions. Um, when we think of people being in the field of service, we maybe think they're serving the customers, serving the clients, serving the boss. Uh, they're they're in a very much of a servant position, and and even that is very much, there are form connotations that come in with this idea of service. And I will say probably most of those concepts and most of those beliefs that you have around service will only hold you back from being of true service. In other words, you have to see yourself more like a child who basically says, I have no clue what true service is, but I am willing for you to show me <laughs> what true service is. That's the best attitude to have. Because everything you think you already know about service, which will involve uh, certain connotations from the past, past references, are going to be blocks to the experience of, of being of true service. Another thing is, is this idea that service is very much tied into the timeline. Uh, it's, it's, the, the ego's definition of service is very much tied into timeline and it's very much tied into bodies and behaviors. Uh, when you pull in to get some gasoline or some petrol for your car, you know, we sometimes call them gas stations, but actually Back in the days, probably the 50s and the 60s, some of you probably remember, they were called service stations. And even in The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Dan Millman's book, some of you might have seen that movie, it's, it's Socrates is, is into service. He actually works at a service station. He works at a gas station and he's teaching Dan through all these different things. Take the trash out and and giving him instructions, working with him to kind of expand his awareness to see what true true service is really about, which is very expensive. But as long as we hold it to the body, 
That's where the burnout is is going to come in. If if you're thinking of service as something that is time bound that you do as a behavior, you know, like I'm going to offer uh, ten hours of community service uh, this week. Yeah, what does that mean? On the timeline, your body is going to be used in some ways that will bless the community. Uh, maybe it's picking up trash, or or maybe it's uh, painting a community center or something like this. But you see how tied in that is to the body and to time. And as long as our definitions of, of true service are tied into time, then there's going to be fatigue and judgment that will enter. Because why? Because the ego invented linear time. The ego invented the body, and the ego is going to try to come up with a service idea which will, you will burn out with. You'll say, oh, I tried that service route, you know. Uh, I was so tired. I, I decided to do something else. I'm going to watch MTV or VH1, <laughs> I think, sit on the couch, eat potato chips and watch uh, VH1. I, I, I did 20 hours of community service and I, I had enough of that. Uh, you know, because why? Because it's because it's on the timeline, because your mind is still seeing it as something in time. And as long as the service is confined to the timeline and confined to the body, the service will have underneath it a belief that is going to be the one block that you have to transcend to come into being of true service. What is that one belief <laughs> that is underneath, like the princess and the pea, what is that little pea of a belief that's underneath all those mattresses that's messing my service up? It's, it's messing with my mojo. I'm, I'm going to serve God and all of a sudden there's something underneath there that is that is an alternate force that's messing with my happiness, my mojo. And you know what that little P of a belief is? It is sacrifice. Sacrifice. If you believe that service is a sacrifice for you, like you're sacrificing something better for the service, you're giving up something else for that service, which it can sound a little funny, like, okay, I'm here to learn true service, to serve God and serve Christ and serve my true self. And then I get this feeling like, well, yeah, I think there's really something that I'd rather be doing. <laughs> I'd rather be doing something else. I've had enough of this service stuff, you know. I've served my time, you know. And, I, and, and that service, the reason the service comes to a sense of ego burnout or it, it doesn't reach the fruition of, of absolute joy is because of the belief in sacrifice. The belief in sacrifice is so deeply embedded in the mind. I'm not just talking about Christians who believe Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind as a scapegoat you know, for the, for the sins of mankind. I'm not talking about surface beliefs of sacrifice. I'm not talking about these political conventions where they say, we need to stop global warming 
and we need to make this world green again, and we need to conserve on coal and fossil fuels because we must sacrifice for future generations. We must sacrifice right now so that future generations may continue to live on the planet. That, that's another version of it. That's the, that's the same as Jesus dying on the cross, trying to make a better future and, con, and conserve and, and change behaviors here to make a better future. That's still what? Believing that there is a future. It's still believing that time is real and that, that you have to make a sacrifice right now to make a better future for yourself or for somebody else. That's another version of, of sacrifice. Or maybe you feel like um, you're in a relationship and uh, that compromise and sacrifice are basically what the whole relationship is based on. That basically you're going through a dance of sacrifice where it's like, well, we'll do it your time this time, but next time let's do it my way. Or we'll do it well, this Saturday night we'll do it what you want to do, but next Saturday night we'll do what I want to do. So it's like a, like a trade-off. It's almost like the belief that there is no win-win-win. There is no greater blessing. There is no higher calling for everybody. It's just there's this giving into the ego belief that this is a world of scarcity and lack. There's only so much to go around, so much time, so much resources, and, and there's 7 billion people on the planet, so some are going to have to sacrifice for the well-being of others, and, and, and we, we need to learn to sacrifice. No, actually Jesus is teaching us that sacrifice is the belief that you can be something that you're not. And more than that, that you can content yourself with illusions. And more than that, when you are asked by the Holy Spirit to release these illusions, this thing will rear up in you and go, Ah, not so fast. You know, the world's not all bad. <laughs> There's a lot of goodies here. And I'm not so sure I want to uh, let go of this world of time and space for eternity. Because why? Because there is a great suspicion of eternity. I've done talks for like 30 years and over and over when I go and I'm sharing my glee and my happiness and joy at all these groups and all over the world and everything, inevitably I always will get people, after I've been with them for several, three, four, five hours, they say, David, heaven sounds, I have to say it, you know, heaven sounds kind of boring. Uh, and I say, what do you mean? And they say, it's... Uh, Eternity sounds kind of bland, you know, kind of bland, you know. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, it's variety is the spice of life. You know, I kind of, I kind of like earth and I kind of like all this, uh, all these choices and all this variety and all these shapes and sizes and colors and smells and tastes. You know, it's not all that bad. It's really not all that bad. And, and why, so... Heaven sounds what? Oh, it sounds kind of boring, sounds kind of bland. You know, it's like, uh, what are you going to do for eternity? Uh, being, pure being. Oh, okay, that's, that's, that's okay, great, good, pure being, cool. <laughs> it's like, they're, they're not so eager to forgive 
because, you know, eternity actually doesn't sound so good. Uh, and from the ego's perspective, uh, it of course it's made up, it's made up of a holodeck that is going to distract you from pure stillness. Because to the ego, there's nothing more bland and boring than pure stillness. That's got to be, you know, it gets projected onto monks all the time. Like, yeah, they just sit around and they put the robes on, and what a boring life. But actually. Until you taste it, until you get a taste of what it actually is, then this is this is what the belief of sacrifice will do. It will it will play it out as if it's not really worth it. It's not really worth it. That it will tell you stillness is not really really worth it. And so this is one of the obstacles. This is the main obstacle that you have to face when you begin to open up to a life of of being in true service is there there are all these objections that the ego will raise in your mind uh, there's got to be something better there has to be a different way um, and and then another one that is tied in with this sacrifice is is this idea of um, it seems the ego will say that even listening to the Holy Spirit and following the Holy Spirit. First of all, it will tell you there is no Holy Spirit, and it says, and you wouldn't want to listen to the Holy Spirit even if there were, because the ego is not so big on on following. I mean, those three vows that the monks and the nuns take, poverty, chastity, and obedience, obedience is basically is obedience to your intuitive self, to your higher self to the Holy Spirit, to the the way-shower inside your mind, inside your heart, is becoming obedient. Like, I will follow the direction of this higher, wise being that's within me, that knows who I truly am. And the ego does not like that idea of obedience. Uh, Michael was reading from the Course uh, on Friday uh, about, I choose the second place to gain the first. Meaning, I must choose to be humble and to admit that I don't know the way in order to be guided, in order to open up to guidance, to show me the way. I have to first come to the humbleness to admit that my personal way has not worked. I, that I've been trying to choose my way through time and space as a human being and it has not brought me happiness. You know, we, it, it's almost like in 12 steps where you have to admit that you are powerless over your addictions. You have to almost, with A Course in Miracles, admit that you are powerless over the human condition that, that has been set up because nothing's worked. In fact, it's, it has worked so, so horribly, we could say, that, that Jesus even has to be quite firm in the Course and Jesus has to say, Resign now as your own teacher. Okay, you know, you know, he's basically saying, I can guide you, but you're going to have to resign first because if I'm trying to guide you and you're trying to guide yourself, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of a struggle, a war going on in there. But if you resign as your own teacher, as you resign as trying to think that you know enough from your own past learning to find your way out of time and space, 
if you still believe that you can do that based on everything that you've learned in the past, then, then you're not going to be able to make that conversion into being of true service. And you w- will not know the being, how to be truly helpful either, because that past learning will be too much of, a, of an interference pattern that will block the Holy Spirit's guidance. If, if you already have enough of an I know mind that says, thank you very much, uh, you just give me some pep talks occasionally, but I'm in charge of my bank account. I'm in charge of who my relationships are. I'm in charge of my job. I'm in charge of where I live. I'm in charge of what I eat, what I put into this body. And, uh, okay, Jesus, you give me a good little pep talk every once in a while, but I'm running the show down here, and uh, you can give me a pep talk every once in a while. It. It's going nowhere. If you wonder why your Course in Miracles practice is going nowhere, it's because you haven't given it over yet. You haven't said, here, I give you the whole kit and caboodle. You take the bank account. You take the mortgage. You take the kids. You take the neighbors. You take my state of mind. Take my car. Take my skills. Take my abilities. You take it all, and then you use it to help me unwind from my egoic perceptions of who I am and the world. Now that's going to work. If you do that, I swear, just by having the prayer of your heart of resigning now as your own teacher and say, I would but follow, be you in charge. That's how the workbook ends. I would but follow, be you in charge. I do not know the way. I do not know salvation's ways, but you do. I will listen. I will follow. Be you in charge. That is what accelerates spiritual awakening. And ultimately, that right there is what triggers opening to being of true service. It's not a ritualistic thing where it's like you you do all these Hail Marys or you do all these things. I mean, I have people, I travel all over the world and... I meet some people and they tell me, um, yeah, I've, I'm doing the course. I've been doing it for for 20-some years. I'm, oh, how's that going for you? Well, I'm, I'm on my 20th time to, through the workbook. You know, Jesus doesn't really want you to just do rituals over and over and over. You, you don't get brownie points. Ten years, you get a little silver badge, and then if you do 20 years through the workbook, you get a little gold badge, and if you do 30 years through the workbook, you get a little diamond necklace. It doesn't work that way. If you gave one year and you gave your heart to it, you know, I mean, really gave your heart to it, when I give my heart, it will be completely Anybody remember that song? And the moment I can feel that, you feel that way too, is when I'll fall in love with you. It's a heart thing. It's given it everything. It's given it all you got. That's the way you do the workbook of A Course in Miracles. Don't think about 10 years. Don't think about 20 years. What does the workbook lesson say? I place my future in the hands of God. It doesn't say keep thinking about how many years you're going to have to do this course (laughs) until you reach enlightenment. 
It doesn't say that. It says, I place my future in the hands of God. On that very day that you do that lesson, it's asking you to give over the future. What does that mean? Give over all future ambitions. Really? All future goals. Really? Give over all your career goals. Are you kidding me? Give over your ideas of on Golden Pond, you know, growing old and gray with your partner and you're sitting there in the rocking chair and you're watching the sunset together and you both have white hair and you're, you're damn, we did it. Yeah, we're, we're like 80% happy here, you know? I mean, the, the mosquitoes are getting to us, but, you know, we made it. We're 85 years old and granny... We have done, you know, no, Jesus doesn't give us some kind of future scenario that when you get old, you get your gray hair and you've done the course lessons for 25 times and this and this, and you've got your, your necklace, your diamond necklace and your little silver badge and your gold badge and everything. No, no, this is not the way that it works. That's like applying the world's laws to a course in miracles. And, and it's not going to go well. I'll tell you that way. If you do it that way, it will seem like your teeth fall out and and your body breaks down and you're going, damn, this course didn't work. <laughs> well, it, it's because you didn't give your heart to Jesus to say, please, I'm going to give everything I've got to these lessons so that I can have a transformation of my state of mind and I can wake up to the heaven that is here and now, to the reality that's always been here, that never was anything different. I'm just going to give it completely over. So, Jesus is practical, that as you begin just from where you seem to be in time and space, he will start to just say, just start out real simple and practice what I'm giving you to practice don't do more than I'm saying, asking you to do. Don't do less. Try to just do exactly as I say. Like in the Matrix, I can guide you, but you must do exactly as I say. To the extent that you follow the instructions and your heart is in it, it's going to be an amazing awakening. It's just going to be an amazing awakening. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to knock your socks off. And it's going to be, as they say in Spanish, a spectacular. It will be a spectacular if, if you give your heart to it and you just practice what is given you, just moment by moment. You don't try to look ahead. Don't try to look back. Don't try to figure out where you are in the stages of the development of trust. Don't try to intellectualize it. Don't try to overanalyze it conceptualize it, but just give into that surrender, surrender. Today I give it to you, I give it to you, over and over and over. One of the best ways, the best tools you have in, in opening to the experience of, of being truly in service is how do you feel? You know, being of true service is not a self-concept. So, in that sense, it's not like you're trying to get accolades. You're not trying to win awards. 
You're not even trying to be noticed. You know how Jesus said in the Bible, don't let the one hand know what the other is doing. He's actually saying, you don't want to do this for self-concept or egoic motives. You don't need kudos. You don't need praise. You don't need applause. You don't need applause to be of true service. You just need to be happy. When you're happy, you're like God created you. And to be of true service is simply to be happy. If God created you as happy, and God knows you as happy, and you don't know you <laughs> as happy, then you're not being very humble. You're basically saying, well, God, you created me this way, but I messed up. <laughs> uh, I'm depressed, you created me happy, something went wrong, and I don't know, I can't figure it out, and now I'm stuck <laughs> in time and space. You know, that's, that's not something to hold on to, is to say, what truly, truly, intrinsically brings you happiness? I think of all the great, great writers, I always think of, uh, does anybody ever remember Joseph Campbell, the mythology and everything? He's the one that coined the phrase, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. And, and really what he was talking about, Joseph was talking about your inner bliss. He wasn't talking about follow your bliss in terms of externals. Oh, I just got a new raise. I got a, a, a much better partner now than I had my last partner. I'm much more happy and satisfied with this partner. I've got a better job. Um, I, I, have, uh, I have seniority now, or I, I have... Um, um, I have good health insurance, life insurance. Um, I moved to the United States and they spend billions, trillions of dollars on weapons. So I feel a little safer now because I move, I'm so well guarded. Uh, I've got so many missiles around. You know, no, no, Jesus is going, no, 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 no. It's not going to be based on externals. The bliss will not be found in anything external. Anything that seems to change is not going to bring you to true, lasting happiness. Sometimes you're driving along the highway like me, and, and I remember one time I was driving along, and, and the billboard said, the only thing that is constant is change. And I was like, Oh, that's a sneaky line, because that's an ego line. No, the only thing that's constant is eternity, is eternal happiness and joy. God is, is beyond change. God didn't invent change. Change was invented by, guess who? The ego. And then, now change has become so frightening to the mind that's asleep and dreaming, but actually the only change that will bring about True happiness is a change of mind. You have to, you have to now forgive and, and release the make-believe self so that you can accept and realize the eternal being. And that's the way, the only way that this thing turns around is, is through that, that shift. So if we follow that, we can start to realize that at the beginning... When you're starting to open to true service, you are just taking your baby steps and you're going within to, 
to really start to say, God, I just want to learn to, to trust. I just want to learn to listen and follow. Please give me those little prompts and nudges. Please show me the way. I want to be happy. I, I, I am worth being happy because you created me happy. And I want to be taken just in the direction of alignment with spirit. I don't know the particulars of how that's going to happen because it's beyond me to know that. If I already knew that, I wouldn't be in this position of, of asking for help. But I am in this position of asking for help. So I am saying, please bring me back into alignment with the spirit that is within me that will take me to this happiness. And and just with that prayer, that's where it all starts. I, I think in my life, I have to say, I probably was, I think in my late 20s, I, I, I think I started to just maybe just get honest with myself for the first time. I, I'm looking at my life, the life of David, and it's like my, it seems to be my late 20s, and what's the point of all this? Where is this all heading? Where is this going to take me? I don't know. Okay, let's look at things honestly. I started to just look at what I was doing when I'm in my late 20s, and what am I doing with my life? What am I putting my time into, my energy, what resources I have? What am I putting my attention to? What am I putting my focus to? And then I started to look at the behaviors of David. And I said, let's have some self-honesty. Out of all these behaviors, daily behaviors of David, how many, how many of those behaviors during each day is motivated by fear? The things that I'm doing, whether it's jobs, tasks, whatever, how many of the behaviors that I have in my life right now as I perceive myself are motivated by fear? And how many are motivated by, by joy? Just unconditional joy. And to be honest, it was not a pretty picture uh, for David in his late 20s. It was like I honestly had to say that the majority, the vast majority, probably over 95% or more of the behaviors that I was witnessing were motivated by fear. Fear of future consequences, fear of lack, fear of concern, worry, all those things. You know, honestly, that's, that's what I was, I could see the motivation was, was, uh, was the problem. That the, the fear was, it was a fear-driven life. It was not a purpose-driven life at all. It was a fear-driven life. And I honestly had to say, okay, I need... The way it came to me back then was, it was like, I, I need, it feels like I need some kind of a mind overhaul. You know, like when you take your car in, and it's really, it's really old, and it's been doing all these crazy kind of things, and you finally have it towed into the, the, the shop, and you say, tell me what's wrong with it, run some diagnostics, and then they say, you need an overhaul. 
Well, we have to be honest when we're doing the course to see that this course is about mind overhaul. Like we're going to have to overhaul this very fear-based thought system. We're going to have to completely give it over. We're going to have to have it cleansed, power washed. We need a power wash uh, going on in this mind. If we're going to come to, to know what being of true service is all about. So for me, that's where it started. And then there's a lot of stuff in the New Age about uh, manifesting and manifest your, manifest your uh, truth, uh, manifest your reality and everything. There's even, I mean, the, the catchphrase I think of for, for New Age is create, you can create your own reality. A Course in Miracles actually is not teaching that you can create your own reality. It teaches that God is the creator of reality. And the most you can do is accept reality as it was created for you. So you might say the Course is more about forgiving unreality, forgiving what you believe is reality, to come back to what is really true. And it's not really about manifesting. I mean, I honestly have to say, you know, I, I, never, I never really went for those things like the secret or uh, all the manifestation courses and vision, vision boarding and all those kind of things because I would say for myself after I got into the course, I thought, well, why would I want to keep reconfiguring the dream world um, and trying to make a better dream based on my own judgment of what a better dream would look like. If I'm asleep and dreaming, and I've even forgotten that I'm dreaming, why would I think that I would have a clue of what a better dream is? You know, is a better dream more money? Is a better dream a bigger house? Is a better dream a Mercedes or a BMW or a Cadillac or a Jaguar? Is a better dream have a lot of diamonds and gems and jewels in it? Does a better dream have sunshine in it? Does a better dream have, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you fill the blank in with what this better dream is. You might just say it's just a version of what you believe to be good and valuable inside the dream world and getting more of that valuable thing that you've already prejudged is going to be better. Who says it's better? In fact, Jesus goes so far in the Course to say, the dreams you think you like can hold you back as much as those in which the fear has entered. Whew. You mean to tell me my better dreams are holding me back from waking up from this dream as much as the ones in which the fear has entered? you got to be kidding me. No, he's not kidding that's what we call a hierarchy of illusions, which is just an ego way of, of making some seem different than others and blocking your mind from seeing that they're all equally untrue. They're all equally illusions. So again, this is we're eliminating a lot of things here when we talk about opening and being of true service because you're not actually going to put your mind into focusing and putting all this attention into making a better self in, inside the dream. Because 
The whole point, the ego put the dream in place to keep you from knowing who you are. The world was made to blind you from the truth, as, as Morpheus says in, uh, in The Matrix. The world was pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And then Neo says, what truth? And he says that, first of all, Morpheus says that you are a slave. If, if, if I've already got preconceived notions of what the happy dream should look like, then I will forget that I'm still a slave to the one in, in the mind that made up this whole dream. And the ego, it doesn't matter if you chase certain things that it's made up and you push away other things, it just wants to keep you asleep and dreaming and stuck in the dream, identified with a person, with a body, so you don't wake up to know your eternal reality. So you see how sneaky this and clever this ego is, even the dreams that you judge as better dreams. Some of you may say, it's better to be married than divorced. Some others of you may say, no, it's actually better to be divorced. <laughs> if, you, if you know my story, it's better to be divorced than, than married. You know, everybody's got their own version. It's a, it's, it's a private world where different values are raised up. It's better to be single. No, it's better to be in a relationship. It's better to be rich. In some cultures, uh, like the Hopi, you know, they, they had rituals like every year the whole tribe would gather and they would take all their possessions, anything that they had in form, anything that they could call a physical possession, and they would put them in a big pile and they would burn it at the end of the year. That's almost like the, the mandala or the, the sand painting that the, the Zen Buddhists do. The Hopis would literally collect all the possessions and burn them every year as a symbol of not getting attached to things, to stuff. How does that, that's, a, that's juxtaposed to uh, capitalism, to consumerism, to all these crazy bumper stickers, whoever dies with the most toys wins the game. No, that's not going to work either. You, you can't take it with you, as the 1929 movie said with Lionel Barrymore. You can't take it with you. Anything that you seem to possess will possess you. If you own stuff, that stuff owns you. You are, and really you are owned by the ego. You are still under the mesmerism, Mary Baker Eddy called it, of, of ego. Ownership, possession, all these things. There's no things, they don't have anything to do with the kingdom of heaven within. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about, I mean, I always love it with the questions that come in. And um, I've, got, I've got some questions here. And before I open it up, and we go into all this stuff live. I just, I'm just going to look down at my uh, my iPhone here and just go through a question here because I've just given you kind of the 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 context of waking up and the context of being of true service, and then we can go into it in more of the fine tuning um, by looking at some of the questions. And this is, the first one here is from Gertie, over in Sweden. 
And Gertie writes, this is for all of us, hi beloveds, exclamation. When I had listened to Jason and Francis's show about I Need Do Nothing, the thought about abuse came up for me. And I think this might have been touched on briefly. Does that mean that I just have to watch and let things happen? Can we be guided to not step in? So that was the first thing. Um, that is a reference to the I Need Do Nothing passage in A Course in Miracles, in the, in the text. First of all, I Need Do Nothing is is actually a statement of the final realization. To come to an experience of I need, I need do nothing is the same as death has no power over me. <laughs> uh, and, and the ego is underfoot that, that I have overcome death. I have overcome the ego. So I need do nothing is not uh, some kind of a, a phraseology or a, a cliché that is to be used as you go through what seems to be your early work with the Course in Miracles. In fact, the ego will probably try to use I need do nothing to keep you from listening to your inner prompts <laughs> that are telling you, prompting you in a way that's truly helpful to be done through. The spirit wants to almost say use the puppet of the body to extend and and I need do nothing is when when you have that thought I need do nothing and you're saying Gertie is how do you apply that to something like abuse. Abuse is a is a perception. Abuse is a belief in the mind. Abuse implies the belief in unfair treatment. Abuse is, is seeing a world of fragmentation and seeing that some of the fragments can do harm to other fragments. Uh, that some are, are different from others, more powerful than others, that some are, are actually harming others. And it, it can't even be a term like self-abuse when you're just using critical thoughts or judgmental thoughts to kind of beat yourself up and so forth. But I need do nothing is not really to be applied at the beginning of uh, mind training. That that gem in there, along with lesson 189, simply do this, be still, and the that amazing um, paragraph in lesson 189. Those are are more. Those are the mystical invitations of once you've gone through all the mind training, you'll reach a point of surrender, where you actually open your mind completely up to this idea of I need do nothing. In other words, the whole idea of choice and of doing things is is dependent on an ego belief. And once you get to that point of like stepping off of the ego, transcending the ego entirely, that's where I need do nothing comes in. You don't want to take something that's the final step it would be like working with the alphabet and taking Z and and using Z uh, to try to go through the alphabet. You know, Z is the last letter of the alphabet, but but it's not helping you with A B C D. So, so when we go into this idea of being of true service, that's that's a good one to not not get thrown off by. 
uh, I mean, I've traveled around the world and I've heard some of the funniest stories of I need do nothing. Uh, one, one course student actually did not leave his bed uh, for weeks. And I'm telling you, it was a stinking mess uh, from his other course group members <laughs> telling the story. You know, he he was defecating and uric urinating, and he just didn't leave his his bed in trying to practice. I need do nothing, and that is not the way that this course is designed. <laughs> you're not you're not supposed to take Z and try to uh, repeat Z. I had another woman, actually, some of you know, that uh, came to me in Wisconsin and um, she took a lesson from the workbook which was kind of like an I didn't do nothing lesson from the workbook, which is I am not a body, okay? And she tried to, hip, she self-hypnotized herself with I am not a body. She just went into a hypnotic trance with, with I am not a body. And I said, well, how did that go? And she said, well, I, I was bruising myself, I was cutting, I, I was walking into windows, uh, walking into glass doors, and uh, it didn't go well. She had hypnotized herself into I am not a body. And then when we talked further, she said, I, I still have some issues against my ex-partner, I've got grievances against men. You know, we were able to get at what's going on in the unconscious mind, even with hypnotic trances. You can't just take, Jesus never says in the workbook, here, take this lesson and hypnotize yourself and you'll reach the kingdom of heaven through a hypnotic trance. It's not in there. It's just not in there. You know, you have to do the book as it's instructed. You have to actually follow the instructions of what's in the book. Another one, this is Gertie's second question, is... Um, is this metaphysical ghosting to just say nothing has happened, everything is perfect? Okay, and also if I react to something or someone and I realize that I react as an ego and see my judgments and attack thoughts, do I have to go on diving for what else is there? or? Is it enough to just be aware, ask for a new perception, hand the thoughts and beliefs over to spirit, and then decide to change my mind? Okay, that's beautiful too, because we do talk a lot about metaphysical ghosting, and to say, to say the words, nothing has happened, seems to contradict the human experience of this world. You know, the, the human experience of the world is that the world is happening. That the world is happening in a linear way, day by day, moment by moment. And to say, nothing has happened, everything is perfect. Again, this would be metaphysical ghosting in the sense that what you're really praying for in your heart of hearts is an experience not a theology, not a set of concepts, not an intellectual so-called grasp or something. You're actually praying for an experience, and that experience is the holy instant. And that, that is a matter of desire. In other words, everything that Jesus is asking us to do, 
practicing the workbook, reading the text, uh, following our prompts, following our guidance, day by day, even those small little prompts, call so-and-so, go out, cut the grass, go check the mailbox, you know, all of the daily activities, brush your teeth, you know, everything that's part of that is part of our surrender and part of our, our prayer to be done through, to let this, okay, here you are, I give it all back to you, now you use it, you guide me, you lead me. And, and so I'm glad you're bringing this up, Gertie, because I need to do nothing, and also uh, nothing has happened, everything is perfect. While that is a fact, actually, it is not particularly helpful as you're doing the mind training. And the mind training is what is required. The mind training is, is what is helpful, truly helpful in coming to being of, of true service. You have to be practical. You, have, you can't leapfrog. You can't jump from A to Z. You, with the holy instant, as you give yourself more and more over to the holy instant, and you give yourself more and more over to the present moment, you will experience many seeming changes in, in awareness and you will perceive lots of signs and symbols that you're coming closer and closer to a glorious, glorious experience. But these are good examples of, of, of we could call it metaphysical ghosting, but to say nothing has happened. It's more helpful to say, um, I have the power of interpretation and I am looking through a lens, so to speak, at this world, and I'm not reacting to anything in the world. I'm not reacting to the, the words, to the behaviors. I'm not reacting to the, the whatever it is, the yelling, the screaming. I am reacting emotionally to the interpretation, to the meaning that I have given to the world that I perceive. It's lesson number two. I have given everything I see all the meaning it has for me. And you might just add, I always am reacting, emotionally reacting to my interpretations. Not to what is being done to me, but to the interpretations that I have in my mind. I am at the mercy of my interpretations. Where do my interpretations come from? Their judgments. Am I going to be completely happy and know that everything is perfect as long as I'm judging? No. <laughs> God did not create judgment. You know, oneness does not say, oh, I'm going to extend and create a being of judgment. You know, no, that's not the way it works. Oneness creates oneness. Love creates love. Love does not create judgment. The ego invented judgment, and now the Holy Spirit can use what the ego made which was judgment, as guidance to guide you, unwind you out of the maze of time and space. So it's only the guidance of the Holy Spirit, or we could say the, the instructions of the Holy Spirit is using what the ego made to take you out of the whole thing, to transcend the matrix. So again, saying it didn't happen is is that's a fact, but it's not actually going to help you as you're going through the mind training because you don't know the fact. You know, if you knew that fact, you wouldn't need mind training. 
If, it was, if you knew the fact that nothing has happened, there would be no need for it. And then there's a third aspect that she's bringing up, and and actually, it is true there that you that what you were saying to be aware, ask for a new perception, and hand the thoughts and beliefs over to the spirit, and then decide to change your mind. The Holy Spirit has already has this beautiful, unified, integrated perception of the world. So. Just your willingness to hand it over and to not hide it and protect it is really where your willingness comes in. That's, that's what you can do. You cannot try to hide your judgments, not try to stuff them down, not try to protect them. You be totally open with the Holy Spirit and, and basically hide nothing from the Holy Spirit. Everything that you hide from the Holy Spirit, you, you give to the ego. Everything you don't hide from the Holy Spirit is you're, you are actually letting it go just by the fact that you're not hiding it. Defense mechanisms always attempt to protect something that is believed to be terrible or guilty or wrong. And then the third question, and I've heard this question too around the world as I've traveled around the world. The third question is, why do anything at all? Why even ask for guidance? If the script is written, so why do anything at all? Why even ask for guidance if the script is written? Again, that is a big if. Because if you're aware of this high, 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 high state of mind that the script is written, then you are aware of Lesson number seven in A Course in Miracles, workbook lesson, I see only the past. And if you were aware that you see only the past, you would accept everything exactly as it is. You would not even have a concept in your mind about making the world a better place. You would not have a concept in your mind about changing anything. Because in unified perception, you know, all think, Thinking produces form at some level, but in unified perception, you see the impossibility of changing the world. Because the world is not outside. The world is, is thought. All the world is is a world of thoughts. And, and when you see the world as something that is external to you, it's something that is outside of you, that surrounds you, and you are tempted every day. You watch the news, you read the newspaper, you Google something, you, you're checking something out on Yahoo or Bing or, or on one of your apps or whatever, and you have the thought like, I don't like that. I don't like that. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you've already judged it. You've already, you've already drawn a judgment. And, and that is not the script is written. I'll tell you, that's, that's the belief that the script is still being written <laughs> and that you're going tisk tisk. That is, and that's not good. This event that happened, this thing I'm reading about, this thing I'm watching on the news, if there's a part of your mind that's going, I do not like this, or I wish this wasn't happening, or I wish this were different, 
or I wish this world was better. All those things are not the script is written. All those things are saying it's playing out right now and it's still happening. It's still going on and and that will bring the sense of, of guilt. Uh, there's got judgment and guilt go hand in hand. So it's understandable that Gertie, if you if you are reading the course and you're coming opening to some of these deeper teachings and you're hearing them and maybe they even have some kind of a resonance with you, the I need do nothing, the uh, nothing is happening, you know, the the script is written. These these things are definitely in the course, but they're only there to be experienced. In other words, they don't mean anything as words. They're only there, including I am as God created me, which is in the workbook. That's actually a fact, but you only reach the fact by doing the mind training, by handing things over to the Holy Spirit, by turning everything over to the Holy Spirit and say, be you in charge, and by actually coming into a, a life of true service and guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit, that's how you actually begin to approach that experience. But the words themselves don't contain the meaning. It's, we're not going to be like the scribes and the Pharisees of 2,000 years ago where we just keep going over the same words thinking if we repeat it enough we're going to spring into heaven. It's not, God is not reached through words. The words are, are kind of crude. They're, they're, they're symbols of symbols, twice removed from reality, and they're, they're definitely something we can work with, and, and I have found them to be very, very helpful, actually, the, the coarse words. But, but it's actually more of a springboard taking you deeper towards to, to prayer and towards purification and into the realms of the mind that that are unlocked through forgiveness and and you you like regain the power you start to see the power of the mind through this true service through this forgiveness through this letting go and and being guided so the reason it seems confusing at, at the very end Gertie you say i feel so confused at times and uplifted other times, like a wave that is rolling in and then withdrawing. How can I be humble enough to let it all go and live in the flow? Thank you for sorting it out for me. So, so the sorting out we leave to the Holy Spirit, but actually too, it's when you read certain things in the Course, maybe you feel an alignment with it and maybe you feel it's it's calling to you and drawing you, but but you don't actually have to try to understand in an intellectual way, and you don't have to try to kind of make some sense of the words specifically. It's more just calling you to trust and to be taken into an experience where you have an aha experience, where you go, ah, it's only, it, there's only one. Oh my gosh, it's always been just one. You know, that, oh my, it's coming into that place of an actual experience of the, of the oneness, of the, of the love. That there's nothing else but the love. And that's the goal, that's the aim of everything. 
And I love it though, Gertie, that you're you're taking this and you're breaking this down here. Just like Jason telling that parable, he told his parable of Albania and um, it was a very different lesson uh, that, than he thought when he <laughs> went through that experience. It's the same with the Course. It's you may think you know how your future is going to look. You may think you know how applying the course will play out. But I can guarantee you that that the, the purpose of this course is not to gain some kind of intellectual grasp of what the course is talking about. That the course itself is a theology that in the end will be like another trampoline. You will spring off of the course. Uh, Judy Scutch, I had lunch with her not too long ago and she she told me again that, that Jesus said as this course goes on, as we go on seemingly in time, the course itself will become unrecognizable in terms of form. In other words, the practice of the principles of the Course will so take over in our mind that we're not going to be discussing a book for years and years and years to come. We're going to be so activated in joy. We're going to be so activated in living this, in expressing this, in demonstrating. To teach is to demonstrate. To teach is not to preach. To teach is not to memorize a bunch of concepts and go around and just talk about these things. In our day-to-day -day life, in our attitudes, in our happiness, in our joy, with everything that we seem to say and do, or not do, it will be a pervasive attitude and feeling that that's actually what the true service in the end comes down to. It's not an action. It's not on the timeline. It's not something that you can rest your, rest your laurels on. It, you can that you can put on your resume. <laughs> it's not something that fits within the human realm. It's not like you know you're going to say <clears throat> retype your resume over one more time and say most recent activity. I have finally come into true service. Uh, I now can do the dishes, take the garbage out, <laughs> and cut the grass in a state of happiness and joy. You know, it's not like there's going to be a resume uh, of what you're doing. It's more like you're going to be taken over in the very core of your being with this love that you are and recognize it and and bask in it and embrace it fully and really be really happy. I mean really happy. Happy for no earthly reason. Happy because, just because. <laughs> because I am. You know, that's if you need a reason. I amness is is all the reason for the happiness. So anyway, that is my spiel for today. <laughs> that's That's where we've got to with this uh, coming to true happiness. And while we have the time, um, why don't we just come together and open it up? So uh, Jeff, uh, if, if any of you either want to physically raise your hands so Jeff can see you or digitally, 
uh, if you followed uh, some of the instructions from Lilo uh, and you want to do it that way, we'll just use the rest of this session to come clear, to have a total Vulcan mind melt, as they say in, in Star Trek, uh, to come to a, a, a sense of us coming into the experience of it together, to really feel it, feel it at the core of our being. That's really what, what this is about. So I'll just turn it over to you, Jeff, and see if we have any uh, hands coming up here. Yeah, we sure do. Vulcan mind melt. First up, just go ahead, Anna. The one thing I wanted to talk about, and it's been in my mind for the last few days, is the realization that I didn't know how to be happy. Um, there's been a sense of, of duty, of things I have to do, of... Um, like even being of service, but within the duty sort of, um, um, sort of frame. And it's like now um, my practice has become like the joy, even if it's all in my mind, but closing my eyes and feeling the joy and the experience of the given world just just wherever I am, whether I'm in my bed or, or, or walking down the street or, or getting to, to where I work, just opening up to, to that experience, it, it feels, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels as if, as if I need to wire my system for the experience of happiness, which has been so alien. Uh, not that I've ever been happy, I've kind of experienced um, happy moments and stuff, but it, it was not in me, um, it, it's as if happiness was always ahead of me, um, something I was going to achieve at a, at a future moment. And it feels great. It feels great to just close my eyes and, and, and imagine uh, a world without sin, without guilt, without fear, even if it's for a few seconds or, or, or a minute. Just, just to be there and be with it, um, be present and and, and feel it, um, because it, it, it felt like, okay, I want to be happy. Um, happiness is is my true nature, but it, it was so alien, um, so so far away. Kind yes. Of. Um, so I don't know. Um, it, it, it feels right, and I wanted to share it with you just to get um, some feedback uh, on, on on the best. Um, I mean, it, it's practice. It's, it's, it's what I'm doing. Um, practicing um, the principles of the course. Is it just my mind going wild? <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful, Anna. You know, it's like if we think about. That idea that God's will for me is perfect happiness, that, that we, we can start to begin to, in our minds, even associate uh, oneness with happiness. And then in terms of what we perceive in this world, since this world is, doesn't seem to be pure oneness, it seems to be quite diverse and quite linear, um, if we can start to see that the oneness is the happiness and that my, my happiness and my function are one. In other words, it's a, it's a way of saying that 
that my only function is to be happy. It doesn't have any sense of duty or obligation or worldly responsibility tied into it at all. Because everything that involves time and duty and worldly responsibility that's is is of involving duality and that's why it's always thrown to the future like i hope i'll be happy someday <laughs> my goal is to be happy in the future because it's all on that timeline and um again i i loved reading abraham maslow because he was basically even in his teachings were was saying that that when you reach self actualization that he said means and end come together you don't the means doesn't come before the end you know we're associated our thinking this linear world of duality is that the means come first and the end comes next and he said no it, for self actualizing uh people they come to an experience that means and ends are together so the painter is just painting out of joy not to paint a a a, a canvas that will be sold for money and can bring in some some kind of praise and adulation at some uh gallery showing off in the future sometime no in the moment playing the violin for joy uh watering the grass for joy being you know just being in the joy of the moment where means and ends are together and so i'm glad you're bringing this up because um i actually have a friend from germany who just arrived to where i'm staying and <clears throat> and he wrote the be most beautiful little message to me and you know it touches on what you're talking about 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 the how can i go into to this joy and this happiness that's beyond any sense of of uh, duty or responsibility that's what i really feel you're you're asking and it it's a very profound uh question he wrote his name is burnt and and he's from germany he wrote hi david for the upcoming online retreat i have a question and maybe that question is also relevant for those who still work in quote normal jobs. He says, I work for a small software developing company and we build software for the healthcare sector. So the work we do is service oriented and I have a good relationship with the team on the client side. Before I left to come, they gathered at the phone and called me to say goodbye and wish me a wonderful time and that really touched me. exclamation even though there is this component of service in my job and i enjoy working with the client and have a good relationship with them i regularly feel bored or uninspired is it because there is also this part of doing the job to earn money and having the safety of an income is it because i don't follow my true inspiration that i do not experience joy So I would say if we take that word that you use this duty word you know let's just look at duty for a minute and how there's something that feels heavy whenever we think of we have a duty or we have an obligation 
Uh, can you imagine going outside in your yard and having a conversation with, say, like a tree or a flower? And you say to the tree, well, here you are again. You really haven't moved in the last uh, 15 years that I've known you. You're still there swaying in the breeze. Um, uh, don't, do you feel a sense of duty uh, being in the same place every day, every night? Uh, or saying to the flower, you know, oh, here you are blooming again. Uh, do you feel a sense of duty every spring uh, that you better get out there and bloom or, uh, or something's, something's wrong? You know, the flower or the tree would probably communicate with you telepathically like, are you crazy? What, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm as happy and content as can be. I'm the happiest flower on the planet or the happiest tree and you're asking me about duty. But duty, of course, for human beings is something that, that is struggled with because why? Why is duty a problem other than underneath the duty is the belief in reciprocity. It's the belief in duality, like there's parts. And I have to do my part to, to be good, to be worthy. I've got to please people. I've got to please bosses. I've got to do certain things to survive. I'm in a world of exchange where if I, if I don't do what I have to do, if I don't do what I'm obligated to do, if I don't do what my duty is to do, then something's going to fall apart. It's something, somebody's going to pay the price. Maybe it's my family, maybe it's my body, Maybe it's my country or society. Somebody is going to pay the price. If I'm too happy, uh, there's a threat. <laughs> that It's a threat to the world. It's a threat to world peace. Uh, if I'm too happy, something in the world is going to fall apart. And this, this you're coming upon. I know we've talked about this too, Anna, in other uh, online retreats. We've kind of got it the same theme of, of survival and sustenance and jobs and everything and how does that fit in with the happiness. But I, I really feel like that's part of the trust when you more and more are able to tune in in the moment and, and really tune into your joy and your happiness and you do this consistently more and more and more, then I tell people that the way it went for me and the way it seems to go is that the world you experience starts to feel a little bit more like a fairy tale. I mean, that's how I thought it was. I, I couldn't actually believe if I would be that happy. And I was always talking about love, writing about love, just like the Beatles' love songs and everything. Love, 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 that, that, that everything would work out beautifully. But actually, that's the way it goes. That's how we come into our true service is, as we go more fully into the love and the joy, everything is taken care of. It might, in a fairy tale, we would say everything is magically <laughs> taken care of. Jesus would say everything is miraculously taken care of when you get into your happiness, when you get into your true function of happiness. And, you know, I have found that 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 Actually, the ideas and the thoughts of time disappear. And I also find that the ideas of reciprocity disappear. Uh, I mean, I've been practicing this, it seems like, for many years. But um, I think 
I think because the, the reciprocity has been so thoroughly rinsed out of my mind that I just don't really have expectations uh, anymore. So when I go to a restaurant, I'm going there actually to have a good time. I mean, I'm going there for some major happiness and it doesn't matter what the waitress does. It doesn't even matter if they serve the food or if they spill the food on my pants or do whatever, you know, I am not in there uh, with any expectations. So it really turns, I mean, even sometimes when the waiter or the waitress, they can do things that may seem to be out of bounds, like not uh, what the world would call good <laughs> behaviors. But to me, there's such a joy inside that I just feel like an adoration that's there. But it's not based on expecting something to get something from somebody. I, I have, I've, I've let go of that. So that I think is the answer to your question, that as you keep going into this, it's just going to get more and more that you're going to lose track of, of time and the passage of time. That will happen. And also the sense of expectation and duty will just start to be like wispy clouds. Maybe, maybe they're in your awareness a little bit, but they will start to get more wispy and start to feel more distant. And then finally uh, they just disappear. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Beautiful. Okay, well, I noticed that Muna's back in. I'm going to open up her mic and see if we've got a better connection this time. Go ahead. So, David, um, my mind, what, it, what kept coming to me when you were talking is readiness. Um, so, readiness for service. I mean, Service is also, everything is a state of mind, and we can be of service at any given moment if we give it over. But there's also this feeling that, you know, there's something bigger for me, like in terms of service. And I like, I really want to go there. I really want to go there, and I'm very impatient. But the unwinding keeps going and going, and it's, it seems like my mind is in the two diagonal corners. You know, one corner is open up beautifully metaphysically and one corner is really stuck in the idea of a body and it's so dense and it's so heavy and someone has talked about abuse because I have repressed memories of heavy duty physical abuse and it's like the ego has that you know as arsenal or keeps it repressed and suppressed so each time I go metaphysically opening up it's like here you have this and then it's it's really, really dense and, and horrible. So this is what's happening in my mind, but I really just burst into the art and do something. And I know vaguely it's about words. I know it's about writing because I love writing. That is like complete bliss for me. But at the same time, it's so lonely. It's like the only connection I have with what I want to do really is with the community and with sharing. But I don't want to share dark all the time. It's like, I want to do something happy, but it's just not coming my way. So I just, that's, that's just what's on my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I think already, like you say, you have the answers. So intuitively, you you know that, that, that this bursting service, that this bigger thing, this bigger experience that you're going to have, you know, well, can, can have something to do with writing and, um, 
And then the readiness thing. It's like um, we, we have to really we have to really be patient with what seems to be our level of readiness. Why do we have to be patient? Is because our level of readiness is is not something that has to do with our circumstances in time and space. It's not like Muna could have done things differently or could have, would have, should have uh, done something better to have a higher level of readiness at this point. The, it, once you begin to get a grasp of what readiness is, you see how silly that is because it's it's literally in the mind, it's prior to coming, prior to what seems to be this incarnation or manifestation of Muna. It's so far back in the mind that to think, judge yourself based on readiness is is absolutely ridiculous if you if you understood how deep it is and how prior it is to this uh, like Carolyn Carolyn Mace talks about contracts you know you kind of contracted with yourself that you would have this kind of lifetime <laughs> and now it seems to be uh, playing out and from inside the timeline you know it's all kinds of temptations to judge self criticism and self judgment but the readiness is way, way back there. I would say, like to use an example, um, I went down to New Zealand uh, back in the 2000s and, I, and a friend named Mia and Lars brought me down there and, and uh, Jackie. And actually Kirsten uh, didn't come to my gatherings and she was in the South Island, but she came and very rapidly, even though she was... Uh, she had a head injury, and she was on disability, and she had all kinds of uh, headaches and fatigue and everything. Something inside, just like seven people just said to her, oh, you're going with David. And she said, I am? Well, you know, she was like, it was like things started to happen really fast with Kirsten. People, finally after like the seventh person, she said, I guess, uh, I guess I'm going to the United States. I I had no idea that this was going to happen, but you're the seventh person to tell me this. And then she came over with the disability, receiving disability payments, head injury, and all this and this. And then um, I was over there, and I had like a global ministry going at the time at this little peace house in Cincinnati. And I mean literally a global ministry, and I'm running it out of this little gingerbread house in Cincinnati, Ohio. And... And everybody that I had living there with me had left. So when Kirsten came over, it was Kirsten and I and two cats and a global ministry. And uh, Kirsten, still with the disability, everything, she just said, how can I be truly helpful here? How can I help you? And I just said, just answer the phone. That's all you need to concentrate on. Just answer the phone. And then when the phone would ring, she would just find herself intuitively with words uh, offering help and assistance. But the phone kept ringing. And she got activated so much, even though she was still going through head injury and disability, that she started to feel like this heat in her body and she would have to take cold showers to cool down being used as a conduit of communication by just answering the phone as part of a global ministry. You know, she just got like a conduit, like charged up that way. And then when she started traveling with me, she started journaling. And 
And then uh, some of you know the book that she wrote many years later with much um, you know, transcribing, editing, so on and so forth. I Married a Mystic um, was, is a great tool, a great practical application tool for go- working through these things. But you see how that came out as a gift. And it did involve writing. And it did involve the use of words. But it did take place over, I'd say, nine or ten years. Um, you know, how patient she had to be to, first of all, to go on the road with me to South America and, you know, and and on the road in the United States with the disability and the head injury, you know, that was a big, that took a lot of willingness. And then to answer the phone, as she did repeatedly, and then started journaling, and then she held on to and kept those journals. Instead of just tossing them and pitching them, she kept those journals for like nine years, and then her... And Jackie, her mother, and others contributed to like working and editing that and putting it into a book now that has become a really helpful, powerful tool for people for practical application, spiritual awakening. So I think you're already, you feel that's where your gift is. You have a, you have a skill, like Helen Shuckman had a skill. You have a skill, the skill will be used, and then you have to be determined and persistent and also very patient as that unfolds. It took Kirsten nine to ten years for it to really come out in terms of just, even just in terms of that book. And the tendency is to judge ourselves wishing we were more ready, wishing we were farther ahead, wishing that, like you mentioned, those two parts of your mind, the one corner and the other corner, wishing the one corner would just go away (laughs) Just leave. <laughs> dismissed. You are dismissed. Just get out of there. And that's the wish. But then again, we can't push the river. We can't um, take that readiness and say, no, it, I should should be more ready. You know, that's just a like a self-criticism of the character, of the Muna character, when really uh, it can't go any faster. It can't. It can't go beyond what it's destined uh, to be. So I hope that helps. I mean, it, it, it gives you a context to stay in the direction of letting that writing be used, but also be patient, you know, be, be gentle uh, on yourself. Don't, don't beat yourself up about this, because that's, that's what makes, the, makes it into a struggle. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Muna. Wow, I can't believe the time. Man, this is like a time collapse. I feel like I just sat down here with you, with all of you. I just got in here. <laughs> well, the best thing about it, too, is that, you know, I, I just kind of let it pour through and really just share this from my heart fully and hope you can can feel this and and I hope that that it starts to to bring a sense of clarity but also uh, that's what I like about these um, weekend retreats I was just talking to my friend Frank and and he was I was out to lunch with him over here and he said he said yeah you, you know the I mentioned about the movie part that's coming up uh, 
the movie segment in our online retreats, and he said, that's my favorite. In fact, I don't even know if he came back to watch me on this one. He's probably out having fun in the sunshine. He won't miss the movie. He is not going to miss the best part. So for all of you, take a nice little break for a couple hours and enjoy your day to the fullest. And um, and I'm excited to, uh, Jason has put such care into uh, what we're going to watch uh, coming up. And um, I know it's going to be a, a treat. And I can feel it already. So I am so grateful that we got to share this these uh, these hours have gone by really fast for me, like a like a blink of an eye. But um, we will all join together here in a couple hours and um, be prepared to uh, be transported into true true service, because that's what we're here for. <laughs>